Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we are in part two of our sermon on Revelation 14. I'm calling today The Road to Armageddon. Why am I titling this sermon The Road to Armageddon? Well, it's because chapter 14 is like a table of contents. It's going to tell us what is to come. It's going to show us what we can expect in the seven bowl judgments of Revelation. And for those who are going to be on the earth at this time, friends, this is the part of human history that Jesus said, if the days were not cut short, no flesh would survive. And you know, the amazing thing about God is before he ever executes judgment, he announces it first. And that's what Revelation 14 is all about. So let's go to God's word today. And I'm glad you're walking with me through the book of Revelation as we study it chapter upon chapter verse upon verse. I, I, I truly, I don't believe that people will receive the mark of the beast by accident. I don't think people will do that and then later find out, oh my gosh, what have I done? No, they will willfully do this in this time period. They will willfully follow the beast. You see what I'm saying? But for those who don't, now I want you to follow me for a moment. Why did the scriptures just shift gears? Why did the scriptures just go from you receive the mark of the beast, you're eternally condemned? Now this is a call for the endurance of the saints. Why? Because I want you to think for just a moment What do you think it's going to be like to be a Jesus follower during the tribulation period? What did we say last week? When the rapture of the church takes place, this place will be standing room only. I don't know who's going to preach because I don't plan to be here. (laughs) But it's going to be standing room only. Many of you, your children will be in here. Some of you, your grandchildren will be in here. Because they know that you believe the truth. They know you were authentic. They know that you were genuine. And when the rapture takes place, that's when they're going to call on the name of the Lord. We're going to do 40 days of praying for prodigals that that would happen before the coming of Christ. Amen. Amen. Friends, this is a very serious, sobering moment right now. But I want you to imagine for a moment what it is going to be to be a Jesus follower during the tribulation. Remember, if you don't receive the mark, you'll not buy or sell. You won't live in your home. You, you, you won't be a, no. You won't have a bank account. You won't have a credit card. You won't own a vehicle. You won't be able to buy gasoline. You won't go to the grocery store. You won't just go get your necessities. Friends, you will be unable to buy or sell unless you have the mark. So what is going to happen in this totalitarian system if you don't have it? Can you imagine how they're going to live? Can you imagine how they're going to run? Can you imagine how they're going to hide? How they're going to constantly live in hiding. Can you imagine how exhausting they're going to be? How exhaustive it's going to be. How hard of a life, how difficult of a thing it is to try to live off the grid in a day like ours in this kind of technology. 
So you know what happens? Scripture shifts gears. And it says, for those who will not receive the mark. Now, listen, I want you to think about this. For those who will stay true to Christ, for those who will refuse the beast and his mark, they're going to be so exhausted. But listen, they're going to feel such despair because they missed the rapture. Do you not think they're going to feel like they missed everything because they missed the coming of Christ? But listen, Scripture is going to give them hope. I want you to listen carefully, and I want you to hear it from the ears of someone who is suffering through the tribulation period. And I want you to hear what the Spirit says to those precious believers. Caleb, read these two verses for me again. Here's a call for the endurance of the saints. Don't lose hope. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Mm. And I heard a voice from heaven saying... Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Wow. What a word from the Lord. You know what the Lord's saying? You haven't missed everything. You're going to be welcomed into my kingdom. And the Lord is saying, you're going to rest. You're going to rest from your labors. Can you imagine how exhausting it's going to be? What a difficult life it's going to be? And the Lord's going to receive them. And we, the 24 elders, we are going to receive them. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 6. You can read it for yourself. Well, praise God. Next. Verse 14. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Now, who is this one sitting on a cloud? Who is this one who, is this just simply an angel or is this Jesus Christ? Friends, I'm convinced it's Jesus Christ. Number one, because it's Christ who sits over and over, he's, he's in a cloud. You can go, again, you go all the way back to the Old Testament and this cloud is there. The cloud was in the temple when it was rebuilt. What is the cloud? That's the Shekinah glory of God. You go all the way through the Gospels, the Mount of Transfiguration. What is this cloud? It's the glory of God. It's the Shekinah glory of God. And then this is the biggest thing. What does John call Christ? He calls him the Son of Man. Friends, that is a title that Luke uses all through his gospel. Why? Because it speaks of not just the deity of Christ, but the humanity of Christ. And Christ is getting ready to reap the earth. Now, what is this? This is a grape harvest. We're going to see that in a couple verses. This is a grape harvest. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you and I hear the term ripe, we think of really good fruit, right? You go buy cantaloupe or you buy your watermelons or whatever you buy. You want, you, you want your fruit to be what? Ripe. We think, when we think ripe, we think it's 
tasting well and it's ready to eat. But in the Greek, it's a different tone here. What it, what it actually means is withered. What it actually means, we could say overriped. And the time of judgment has come. The time for harvesting has come. So we see Christ in the clouds. We see him with a golden crown. We see him with a sharp sickle. And what does he do? He reaps the earth. Now let's watch it unfold. Continue, please. Verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth. So again, in your mind, think of withered grapes. That's what this is talking about. Continue. And he threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 600 stadia. <clears throat> now this seems very complicated. But let me explain it in very simple terms. If you understand that chapter 14 is a table of contents, and if you understand where we're headed in the book of Revelation, chapters 15 and 16 are going to be the seven bold judgments. That's what Christ meant in Matthew 24 when he talked about the great tribulation. The tribulation is a period of seven years. The great tribulation is the last three and a half years that the Bible identifies as time, times, and half a time. The Bible identifies it as 42 months. The Bible identifies it as 1,260 days. Friends, the Holy Spirit cannot spell it out any more clear. And so this is the last half. This is the last 42 months. This is going to be the most intense Time in all of human history. And Jesus said there's never been a time like it before, nor will there ever be a time like it again. And this is a table of content on what to expect. So what is this wine press? What is this gathering, this clustering of grapes? What is this reaping of the earth? What in the world is the blood that's going to flow to the horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. What is a stadia? Well, let's explain it. When Christ comes, and, and, and see, listen, it's interesting. Because uh, people who have the view I have a scripture, we believe in a rapture of the church. But friends, that's not the second coming of Christ. The second coming is found in Revelation 19. The armies of the world are going to gather in what is called the Battle of Armageddon. For those of you who you've been to Israel, you have probably visited the Valley of Megiddo. In Bible days, it was called the Valley of Jezreel. If you've never been there, you can look it up online and you can look up literal pictures of the valley of, of Jezreel or the Megiddo Valley. This is where the, the battle of Armageddon is going to take place. 
And Christ is going to return on this battle of Armageddon. And friends, it will be no fight at all. The world will have their nuclear weapons and everything else. But you know what the Bible says? Christ, with just his breath, will slay them. Just the breath of his mouth. Now let me tell you, say amen if you're with me right now. See, we live in a culture that has no regard for God. Is it okay if I preach for a moment? I'm going to stand up in a minute. We live in a cult. Listen, foolish people. I remember when I had eyesight, you would see these crazy little memes or t-shirts. Only God can judge me. Oh, friends, he shall. We do not have a fear, a reverence and all of the judgment of God. What did the angel pronounce in his eternal gospel? Fear God. Glorify God. Worship God. No. See, this culture has an attitude. I'll do whatever I want to do. This culture has an attitude. I'll have things my way. Friends, that's not the God of the Bible. And I want you to hear me today. And I want you to hear me as I proclaim this eternal gospel. The Bible tells us how you and I can escape the vengeance of God. And the Bible tells us what the vengeance of God is going to be like. Can we do a deep dive right now? Caleb, take me to Isaiah chapter 61. And I want you to read verses 1 and 2. I want to show you with the Bible right now. I'm going to show you why this day that the Bible's describing in Revelation 14, when it comes to the battle of Armageddon, I'm going to show you why this is going to be the great and terrible vengeance of God. And I want to see, I want you to see from the mouth of Christ what is going on in this moment of human history. Isaiah chapter 61 foretells, it predicts, what Christ is going to do. And in just a moment, we're going to go to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to see Christ fulfill this very words, okay? Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I want you to pay attention to that. And what's the next phrase? And the day of vengeance of our God. And the day of vengeance of our God. Now, go to Luke chapter 4. And I want to show you what Christ did. Because this is absolutely fascinating to this preacher. So, Christ goes through. He's baptized at the Jordan River, right? He goes through the 40 days and nights of fasting in the wilderness and the temptation of Satan. Remember, three temptations from Satan. Coming out of the three temptations of Satan, he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. He goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, and he's given the scroll of Isaiah. And I want you to listen to what the Bible says that Jesus did. This is going to blow your mind. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day 
and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's missing? The day of the vengeance of our God. Continue. Let's watch it. See what Christ did. He stops at a comma. He doesn't complete the entire text. He leaves out this incredible last phrase. And, and, and listen to what Jesus does. And he rolled up the scroll huh. and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. He's done. He rolled it up. He left out one of the most important phrases. Why did he leave it out? Because, friends, this is the first coming of Christ. He came as the Lamb of God to be slaughtered for your sin. To die, to take your place. But what is his second coming going to be? His second coming, he's going to come in vengeance. Amen. He's going to come as the wrath of the Lamb. That is his second coming. He left it out on purpose because it was not the purpose of his first coming. But friends, it shall be the purpose of his second. He is going to judge the earth. How is he going to judge it? Let's go to Isaiah chapter 63. Now, this is fascinating. Remember, Isaiah wrote this prophetically thousands of years before John was ever born. And then John penned these words 2,000 years before you and I were ever born. Wow. So, let me get us back on track here. Christ will come to the battle of Armageddon. And we'll study this together in chapter 19. Christ will come to the battle of Armageddon. He will slay those sinners with just the breath of his mouth. It won't even be a fight. He will slay them. The Bible says that the blood is going to flow to the bridle of the horse. That's probably about four feet. And for 1,600 stadia. Do you know how long 1,600 stadia is? It's roughly 300 kilometers. It's roughly 170-ish miles. See, remember chapter 12 of Revelation. When the Antichrist, when that beast sets up the abomination of desolation, what's that? It's his idol in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem. And when he sets up the idol worship, the Jews, the eyes of the Jews are going to come open. They're going to flee. They're going to run. They're going to get out of Jerusalem. And God said on the wings of eagles, I am going to protect them. God's going to supernaturally protect them. We believe that's in the city of Petra, which is in modern-day Jordan. 
Again, get online. Look up images of the city of Petra. We believe that God is going to supernaturally put his hand over the city and going to protect his remnant. And the eyes of the Jews are going to come open. They're going to see Jesus as their Messiah. And listen, I want you to understand what's going to happen. Jesus, after the battle of the Armageddon, he is going to go to the city of Petra and he's going to rescue his Jews. Friends, do you know how far Petra is from the valley of Megiddo? It's about 300 kilometers. It's about 170-ish miles. It's 1,600 stadia. And all of this is predicted. Now, listen to Isaiah 63 and just listen. Listen and read for yourself and let it all make sense. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. <coughs> Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the peoples in my anger and made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Wow. Can you imagine? Vengeance was in his heart. Listen to what the scripture says. He speaks in righteousness. He's mighty to save. Friends, if your view of God is that he's the guy upstairs, if your view of God is he's just the good old Lord, then you have a mighty low view of God. Friends, he's coming back to this earth to judge. He came the first time to save and to rescue. Friends, we're still in that period of grace. Today, you can be born again today because we're in the age of grace. But that window of time is narrowing. We're coming to a day where he's going to come in his wrath. See, here's the difference today. The wrath of God is going to be poured out on that day. Chapter 14, the vengeance of God. He's going to tread the wine press and the blood is going to flow. And you saw it in Isaiah 63. But see, here's the thing. Either you as a sinner, either you're going to experience the wrath of God on you or see Christ absorbed our wrath on the cross. He took it. He took it all. 
So see, the question today, the most important question about you, it's not what your net worth is. It's not your IRA. It's not your assets or even your health. The most important question about you today is are you in Jesus? Because friends, if you're not, you're going to face the wrath of the Lamb. But see, if you repent today, if you repent, if you fear God, if you glorify God, if you worship God, if you acknowledge Him and recognize Him and love Him and serve Him, then see, you go from being a rebeller to becoming a child of God.